Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ordinary People and Extraordinary Lives. My name is Lance Bain. This is episode 113 of our little podcast designed to help us experience the grace of God while living, leading, and overcoming life's everyday challenges. Hey, hope you enjoyed last week with Scott Tavolacci defining for us leadership, defining for us kingdom, and defining for us kingdom leadership, and just did an awesome job using the story of Peter and Jesus in Matthew 16 to both expose the commendation of leadership and our call to leadership, as well as one of the great pitfalls or challenges of leadership, which is selfishness and personal ambition. So hopefully you were able to listen to last week's podcast. Don't forget to check out LanceBain.com. There's more resources there. You can check out many of our other podcasts. I want to welcome back this week Scott Tavolacci. He's going to be sharing with us part two of his talk on kingdom authority and leadership, the number one pitfall of kingdom leadership and authority. And as leaders, it is so critical that we understand what these pitfalls are so that we can have a plan to overcome them, that we might give healthy and life-giving leadership to those that we lead, whether it's your sales team or a ministry or just your family, whatever it may be. We're committed here to healthy, life-giving leadership. So I'm happy to welcome back Scott Tavolacci. You can check him out at kingdommasterbuilders.com, kingdommasterbuilders.com. He's got some wonderful material up there, audio material, video material, two books that he has written, one by the title, Kingdom Master Builders. So everybody, I'm glad to have back at the microphone, Scott Tavolacci. Good afternoon, Lance. Thanks for having me back. Uh, let's pick it up from where we finished off last week, and I'm just going to pick it up from where it says in Matthew 16. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, meaning Peter was rebuking Jesus for telling them that he was going to die on the cross and be killed. And he said, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, this is Jesus turning and saying to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. So again, this is the story of Peter. He had his greatest commendation from Jesus just a few minutes before that. Now he has probably his greatest rebuke from Jesus. Peter thought maybe he was thinking in Jesus' best interest, but the reality is that Peter was thinking in his own best interest. And you notice what Jesus said to Peter. I don't notice anywhere else in the New Testament that Jesus called someone or something Satan. Um, he did call the Pharisees. He said, you know, you're, a, you're of your father, the devil. But he said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And notice, for you're setting your mind not on what the things God wants, but man's. And essentially, what Peter was setting his mind on was his own interest, his own position, his own calling. And at this point, Jesus said, you need to deny yourself. And here's a scripture we hear all the time. And Jesus said to his disciples, and he was giving them counsel. If you want to come after me and you want to be lead, and I'm giving you a paraphrase here, and you want to be leaders in my kingdom, you must deny yourself, meaning your own selfish ambition. Now, I want to 
divide the difference between ambition and selfish ambition because there is nothing wrong with having ambition to be the best you can be and to fulfill all that God has given you to fulfill because that's what we're created for. But when our desire for that becomes greater than the understanding of God's will and the people around us, then our motives tend to get off. And that's why Jesus said we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross. And what he was talking about is taking up God's will and not our will. Remember, we talked about the kingdom of God, the dominion of God. The kingdom of God is in our heart. It's the dominion and influence of God in our heart. So what showed up here and what was exposed, and sometimes we kind of give Peter a bad rap because probably the most foot-in-mouth statements that we could talk about in the New Testament, we kind of attribute to Peter, but Peter probably gave voice to what everyone else was thinking. Um, And if we all want to be honest, um, we were probably thinking the same thing. But what showed up with Peter here was really selfish ambition. And what always usually shows up with selfish ambition is its ugly partner, uh, jealousy. So let's talk about this because there's a couple scriptures I want to point to. And then I want to bring out something else in the New Testament that fits with this. And really, this is all about the training that Jesus put his apostles uh, through to try to be to become leaders in the kingdom. So in James chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, James is talking exactly about this subject. And I'm going to read this scripture here, and I'll, I want you to notice the words and what he is saying here. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where? In your heart. Your heart is the womb of the spirit. It's the center of your passion and emotions. It says, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. Notice what it says. This wisdom is not from above, meaning this wisdom is earthly. And it says it's earthly, natural, and demonic. All right, so let's go back to what Jesus said to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. So we understand why Jesus said that, because this selfish wisdom is of the earth, and it is earthly and it's natural and is demonic. Um, it says, for where selfish jealousy and selfish ambition exist, this is a powerful statement, there is disorder in every evil thing. So if you want to think about every church split that comes from disorder, just guess what? Just You got to find these two things and you will find them there. If you want to see a company that falls apart, that has a life of uh, a lot of strife and ambition, You want to see a family that falls apart. Generally, it's selfishness. And it says there's every evil thing. Now, let me define evil, and this may help a little, and I'm going to use it in the context of good. Because it says in the the New Testament, we're going to be all judged. These are for people in the body of Christ. And it's not a judgment of salvation. It's a judgment of our works and things that we've done in the kingdom of God. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we're going to be judged for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or evil. So I like to say this, things that we do that are good is that we're doing for the benefit of others, even when it's at our expense. 
and God is the epitome of goodness, and the cross is the epitome of the demonstration of goodness. So if you think of that as goodness, evil really starts at doing things for our benefit only, and especially when it's at the expense of others. So Peter really was thinking about um, his own benefit in that particular situation. And the result of that is, as leaders, if we let that guide and govern us, we will always make bad decisions. We will always make decisions that even if we think they're right, in the end, if we think about it over a period of time, we'll realize that that was a bad decision because there was selfishness there. Sometimes there's jealousy there. And the fruit of that is always disorder in every evil thing. So let's talk about this a little more because um, right after this, we can see jealousy showing up with the apostles. Now, in Matthew 18, which is just a couple chapters later, and I don't know if this was a week later, as it's recorded in the synoptics of the gospel, but it was probably not that long later. But I'm going to point something out to you, that I think many of you, if you've read the gospels, you, you've read the stories where the disciples or the apostles were arguing about who is the greatest. You know that there's three different times in, in the New Testament that that's recorded, that they were arguing about who is the greatest? Um, and they did not start arguing about who is the greatest until after Jesus imparted to them and told them about that they've given him the keys of the kingdom and that they were going to be able to bind and loosen the kingdom, meaning that Jesus was making them leaders in the kingdom and that they were going to have authority in the kingdom, that after that happened is when all those arguments happened. Alrighty, so let's get back to discussing that right after Jesus uh, gave them the commendation and Jesus told them about being leaders in the kingdom of God, after that is when the arguments started happening. And those arguments started happening about who is greatest in the kingdom of God. It's actually recorded three times in the Gospels that they were either arguing about this and discussing this. So I'm going to read the first time it's recorded is in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. It says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So it must have been on their mind, since they were all going to be leaders, they were all discussing probably who's going to be the greatest leader. And this word greatest here means it's not in quality, but in importance and in value. So they really were discussing, you know, who is the highest rank and who was going to be the highest rank. And he called a child himself and set him before them and said, truly I say unto you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such in my name receives me. So I like to, I'm going to give you a literal translation of this. Because Jesus said, unless they be converted and become like a child. So my literal translation is that Jesus is saying, hey guys, 
you guys will not even get into the kingdom, nevertheless be a leader unless you wake up, because that word converted is like, I'm thinking about like, did you ever say to your kids, like, will you wake up? Like when you're frustrated about something and, you know, someone is kind of walking in, walking in a daze because they they don't understand something. So I really see this as Jesus saying, unless you guys wake up and get this and understand how my kingdom works, you need to act like a little child and you need to get rid of that je jealousy and selfish ambition. Because what he was saying is, you're not even going to get into the kingdom, nevertheless, be a leader unless you learn to act like a little child. And so really, what, it, what it was he pointing to? He was, he was pointing to, I think, the two most important virtues of any leader. And this is what's different about kingdom leadership. If you think about leadership in the world and what, what people tell, tell you about in the world and saying, well, you have to be strong, you have to be authoritative, and that is true, and I and I understand that. And even in the church, in the kingdom of God, you have to be strong and authoritative. But strength in the kingdom comes from two important virtues, humility and meekness. Humility and meekness are two virtues that allow the authority of the kingdom to work through us. Matter of fact, if you don't understand humility and meekness, you will be blind to understanding how, God, how God's kingdom operates, and you will be blind many times to hearing God's voice. And, I, and I'm going to give you, I want to kind of bring something up here so you can understand this. See, Jesus, after he told them about their authority in the kingdom, immediately started telling them how he was going to die, die on the cross and what was going to happen. And I will tell you that they never understood that until after Jesus rose from the dead. Because the only one that I can see in the Bible that really understood that was, was Mary of Bethany. Because when Mary of Bethany came to Jesus right before he was going to go into the cross and he anointed or she anointed his, his head with that oil and he said, she's doing this for my burial. What did the apostles? They were rebuking her because why can't that, that be used for feeding the poor? But Mary was the only one who really understood what was going on because she had that heart of compassion had that heart of humility and meekness and that heart of understanding where she had revelation of what was going on. If you don't walk in humility and meekness, you really won't get revelation from God to understand how his kingdom operates. Humility is a place of entire dependence on God. Humility is a place where God is everything and humility is a place where you're willing to accept the truth about God what he says, and his word. Meekness, I like to call that humility's first cousin. Meekness, I like to define as power under control or power and authority under control because it's submitted to the will of God. Jesus was the best example of this, I think, when he was talking to Pilate. 
when Pilate was trying to find a way to free Jesus and he kept asking him questions and Jesus really wasn't answering the questions and Pilate got a little frustrated and said, don't you know I have the power and authority to crucify you or to let you go or free you? And Jesus just said, you you know, no authority is given to you except except it be from heaven and that he could call his angels and they would come fight for him. But he wasn't gonna do that. Why? Because he knew the will of God was the cross. He walked in power and authority. He could have used that power and authority, but he had meekness, which was power and authority submitted to the will of God. Now, Jesus also mentioned having, you know, having need to act like a little child. Well, little children, especially when they're younger, you know, they have that childlike humility and meekness and believableness that there is such a quality of that that God is looking for. Now, I like to look at this as like the, the apostles didn't get it at this particular point in time. But later on, I read in Peter's life and I read what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 3, and get this. So Peter is exhorting the church. And this is after, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus restored him in his place. He he stood up on the day of Pentecost. He was the one of the foremost leaders in the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was a transitory leader into the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when it was first was to the Gentile, uh, to the Jews, the second was to the Gentiles. But later on in his life, he is exhorting the church about growing spiritually. And there's two particular epistles that are, are attributed to Peter. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I want you to notice this. And, and for years, I'll tell you, I focused on one part of this scripture because I thought it was important. Because I thought, you know, the word of God is important. It absolutely is. The written word of God is important. Us understanding that, letting that written word of God become the living word of God by meditating on it. Um, but it says here, it, Peter says in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So get rid of evil behavior. Hmm. Evil behavior. Be done with what? Deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have a taste of the Lord's kindness. So look at this. Jesus said you needed to become like a little child. I think Peter said, you know what, I'm going to top that. Not that he could really top Jesus, but he was saying, get rid of all these evil behaviors, selfishness, hypocrisy, selfish ambition. He didn't say like a new, he didn't say like a little child. He said, even go farther back than that. Farther back to someone who's even more dependent than a newborn than a child on its parents. He said, like a newborn babe, someone that a newborn babe is totally dependent on his parents, totally dependent on everyone around it. And see, humility is a place of entire dependence on God. He said, like a newborn babe, crave the pure spiritual milk milk of the word that you may grow to the full experience of salvation. So 
we may think about the things that Peter has done and sometimes we think of this situation, but I like to think, wow, Peter grew up, he understood it, he walked in that power, and then he started communicating that to, to the church thereafter, that he was walking in kingdom authority and true kingdom leadership.